0: Whoop,
1: whoop, whoo! Zell, what are you so excited Katie, about?
0: it's the end of the year. 2016 is finally over. Oh, my God. This year has been so terrible. I can't believe it. It's not over. What?
1: Zell, it's not even Thanksgiving yet.
0: But you said this was the last show. Of the of-
1: month. It's the last show before Thanksgiving and the end of November. We still have another month after that.
0: Another month of 2016? So another month where bad things can happen?
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: All right, let's just start the show.
1: Hello and welcome to Don't Kill the Vibe. I'm Katie Bain.
0: And I'm Zell McCarthy. Tonight in the studio, we welcome marketing and social media expert and Insomniac alum, Frankie Sanchez, and former music writer and general music enthusiast, Allie Miller.
1: We're going to talk about the latest in Daft Punk chatter, of course, Moby and another fallout Moby, excuse me, and other fallout from the US election and new music from Annabelle England England, Solwax, Don Richard, and more.
0: Plus, we're gonna look at the other big news, including the loss of pioneer Dave Mancuso, and I think that's where we should start tonight.
1: Yeah. More bad news.
0: More bad news from twenty sixteen. This happened on Monday. Word came out late in the day that David Mancuso had passed away at age seventy-two. If you don't know who he is, that's probably because you're young enough, I guess, to not know who he is. Right. He had a huge influence on the early days of clubbing, particularly in New York. He turned uh, a loft he had into a club known as The The Loft. Loft. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And And he charged, what, people $2.50 to get in?
0: Yeah, basically just like a a, a nominal, like, put up the cash so you're serious kind of fee. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, also, uh, you know, allowing it to be all-inclusive for people that didn't necessarily have the money. And his egalitarian nature was really sort of the defining element, one of the defining elements of The Loft and the scene that he created.
0: Absolutely, and I think it's been really nice in the last week how, as the tributes have rolled in, that part of his legacy has really been highlighted. Yeah, totally. He he created a really open space for all sorts of people to enjoy music, and he also was the, the guy who kind of gave... Uh, DJs like Larry Levon and Frankie Knuckles a start behind behind those decks and they were decks back then they were actual two turntables right
1: right and he actually has an amazing story just uh, I was combing through some of his uh, many obituaries and sort of remembrances online and I learned that and maybe a lot of you know this but he was actually raised in an orphanage and one of the bright spots of his living in that orphanage, he would later say, was one of the nuns would throw these these parties and she would bring balloons and serve juice to the kids and play music and they would dance. And when he left the orphanage when he was 15, he obviously sort of took that uh, experience, those experiences with him and turned it into what would become his whole life and a defining sort of element of dance music culture, which I think is really sweet.
0: You have to wonder, I mean, th- there's been obviously uh, a lot of strong feelings about the Catholic Church in our country in the last 50 years, but um, where where would dance music be were it not for that nun who inspired David Mancuso?
1: Totally. Sister Teresa, I think her name was. Sister so, Teresa. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah, totally. That's totally. pretty cool. Yeah, I love that.
0: That's really – cool. I did a – I uh, was part of a documentary a few years ago where I was talking about Mancuso in The Loft but did not uh, – for whatever reason, we couldn't make it happen to, for him to be interviewed and I am I regret that we couldn't. I don't think he was doing a lot of press.
1: I don't um, think he ever really did, no. did he? He was kind of – no. a, not a hermit, but he wasn't that guy. Yeah. And it wasn't uh, really in his ethos to be the center of attention.
0: And I think it's only been in the last two years where people have started looking – Back at that period of time in New York, and thinking, oh, this is something we have to to celebrate and also enshrine as a part of history because it just no one thought of it that way for so long.
1: Sure, sure, because they were just doing their thing, yeah. having their house parties. But yeah, there's no uh, no cause of death that we know of, right?
0: No, seventy two. We were, and I was talking to uh, Crystal, our music and a news producer earlier. You know, seventy two doesn't seem like it's that old there, but. Uh, you know, I guess it is possible to not have a really dramatic passing at that age as well. You are, you know, an older person,
1: perhaps. Sure, totally. That's, yeah.
0: So rest, rest in paradise is what a lot of people have been saying—an allusion to the Paradise Garage, which later, I guess, uh, Mr. Mancuso attended. But also, shout out, shout out, Sister Teresa.
1: Yes. Yeah, she, she really started it all. I love that really, like, uh, if you go deep down, there are roots in the dance scene that go back to the Catholic Church.
0: Which is, inc- I just think that's incredible. Yeah. it's such, I mean, it's definitely a a, a faith unto itself, that, that dance music.
1: That's true. Yeah. That is true, of course.
0: Can we flash forward from the origins to the very latest in New York City clubbing? Go for it. Controversy around Shemansky. Oh
1: my God, we're talking about Shemansky again.
0: Man, week uh, this, three. This is the third week we've been talking. <laughs> they've been
1: open for two weeks. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think we've talked about them longer than they've actually been around. It's true. Um, they actually owe us money. But this, this, uh, <laughs> yeah. If you send us a bill or a check, please, Eddie yeah. Dean. Um, <laughs> if you've seen this story, uh, you might have an opinion about it already. But I'm really curious to know what you think. So please tweet us at DKTV Podcast. Um, The talent buyer or one of the talent buyers at Shemansky, which is the new club in the old verboten space in Brooklyn, his name was Thomas Dunkley. And he was, I guess, um, called out for being a supporter, a vocal supporter of uh, Donald J. Trump, president-elect.
1: Right. It sounds like –
0: Donald J. Trump.
1: Right, say it it again. Failed businessman Um, (laughs) and
0: questionable millionaire, Donald Trump.
1: Noted sexual predator and president-elect.
0: And reality show contest host,
1: Um, Donald Trump. So this guy, what's his name?
0: Thomas Dunkley. Thomas
1: Dunkley. So he put some things uh, on Facebook in support of Trump. And the dance music community in which he works worked past tense now mm-hmm. did not appreciate it and they did a sort of digital tar and feathering came after him and he ended up having to well not having to who knows what happened behind the scenes but he, he resigned
0: it was kind of it was almost a doxing like I felt bad for the guy I agree yeah. um, I'll read you a little bit of what he said <laughs> and uh he posted this post-election I believe he said a lot of my friends don't really like Donald Trump and I can see why he is certainly not perfect That's a good admission to make I think He has made his fair share of mistakes during his presidential bid. But I think a lot of the hate for Trump is caused by misrepresentation by the media. With just a little research, it becomes obvious that almost every mainstream media outlet has been purposely lying about him in the worst way. The concocted rape charges and sexual harassment stories have been the most vicious. None of these stories had any real evidence to back them up. It all just seemed like a massive hit hit job. And he goes through... A uh, list of policies that he likes. Um, he says that Trump is anti-war like Bernie Sanders is. He says that Trump wants to legalize weed and tra- trade deals and Obamacare and the Common Core. And if you know what the Common Core is and you're opposed to it, um, that's one thing. But I guarantee you that most people who are, who are opposed to the Common everyone Tell us this, what the Common Core everyone is. Everyone in the room right now is looking at me like, what? Common Core is an education standard that is... Uh, set up by the federal government, distributed to states to implement in a way um, that is pretty flexible but basically gives guidelines for what students should be learning by a certain grade. So you should know you know, certain amounts of math or reading or, or geography or history sure. um, at different intervals. Um, some states have completely opted out of doing it. Uh, some schools have opted out of doing it. Um, it's not a mandate, but there is funding attached to it. So, you know, uh, because it came under a democratic presidency, I think a lot of people are in, uh, I mean, it's it's a so politicized, it's become a politicized educational. So thing.
1: what does Trump want to do with it?
0: Apparently he wants to end it. Uh, he wants
1: to nuke it. <laughs> which
0: I had not heard. No one had ever, uh, I don't think that was a big campaign point. Um, he wants to audit the Fed. I mean, on and on. Um and he ends up by saying, "I definitely come from a left-wing perspective originally, but largely because I always thought the left was against the war." And he uh, thinks that Hillary Clinton is pro-war and that Donald Trump was anti-war. And this was on a on his own Facebook page, completely his own personal stuff, but it was a public post. And uh, I think Dance Bitch, who is a which is a Twitter account in that like monitors. Uh, Brooklyn nightlife in particular was the first to to put Mr. Dunkley in the hot seat,
1: and it didn't take long for him to to step down. Yeah, what do you think? What do you think of this? This is oh. I think this is a tricky one.
0: It's hard. Like I was thinking about that in terms of uh, of David Mancuso, because if you're going to create an open space for everybody, do you then exclude people whose views you disagree with, and it, where do you draw the line? And There are so many people who feel very strongly about Donald Trump, but it doesn't – about the way that he has been very bigoted and misogynist uh, and otherwise discriminatory during during the campaign. It doesn't seem like Thomas Dunkley was siding with any of those things.
1: Right. Right. I read uh, a rather simple but interesting analysis the other day where it compared to voting for Trump to signing up for HBO. And, and, what? no, listen, hear me out, hear me out. So Are you asking for my login so again? So you want HBO, I'll but, just give but it to, but you, to get, fine. to get HBO, you, you also have to sign up for Cinemax. Uh. You don't, you don't want Cinemax, but you know that a portion of the money that you're paying so you can watch Game of Thrones is going to fund Cinemax and his agendas. So let's say you want to repeal Obamacare, but you have to sort of also vote at the same time for racism and misogyny. So yeah. you're, you're signing off on it, but you don't want it. And that's, I think, how a lot of people feel about their Trump vote, and it,
0: they really don't like Obamacare to the point where they're they're going to accept a little bit of white nationalism. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's, I, I mean,
1: you know, it's like you you, you really want to see the next season of Game of Thrones? So you're you're going to throw some money at pornography as well.
0: This, I feel like Game of Thrones is pornography, Katie. I don't. I feel like this analysis. <laughs> So I was like,
1: wait a minute. Just get HBO Go.
0: Just, I mean, here, I'll give out my login on the show if that's what it takes. This is my issue. I think that it's a missed opportunity to get this guy to be someone who would perhaps be on everyone's side. If you say, I disagree with you, never talk to me again, get the fuck out of here.
1: Exactly. I think that's a problem. I think that you're creating more resentment, divisiveness, and you know, that guy's probably pissed now and he's not going to go out there in the world and sort of do the dance music community any service coming from that point of view where he was sort of ousted out no, against I yeah. his will.
0: He has not been educated by the, the collective of people in Brooklyn who got rid of him. He's not been won over and I'm sure he's finding a really welcome embrace by, uh, by an alt right that just loves to depict people on the left as being intolerant. I mean, that's that's a concern.
1: Right. It's tricky. I I who knows what happened behind the scenes with that one, but I believe in my heart that if I had been in the position being there, I would have not I would have, I would have encouraged him not to step down.
0: Yeah, and I also like if you're listening to this and you are like, "Wait, there there's an industry out there where everybody has the same political views. Yeah, there kind of is. It's the entertainment industry and most for the most part, people all kind of have I would say like a general center left to left. Which is why this is
1: so shocking for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. But but in the rest of the world people coexist and, and work with people who have a lot of different political opinions and they don't get to say Get out of my workspace. Get out of my nightclub. Right. I I we we talked about this a little bit last week. There are definitely Republican DJs. They don't. They have not self-identified. But I am more confident that you have been on a dance floor, each and every one of you, with <laughs> someone who you disagree with politically. Who
1: do you think they are? Did we who talk you, about this last week? No, I don't know. Do you who, think it's the Chainsmokers?
0: Oh, the oh the <laughs> DJ. Yeah, totally the Chainsmokers. No, they said they they were. I'm
1: kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. I don't know who they are.
0: Tell us. Tell us. Uh, hit us up.
1: Are you a Republican DJ? Yeah. Are you a DJ? Tweet us at mm-hmm. DKTV Podcast.
0: Yeah. Um, We can move on. We can make a, a rougher transition than the Trump team is into the White House. Ooh. Ooh. Nice one. Actually, nothing could be as rough as that. Um, Pulse Orlando. It's been about five months since the shooting there, and I think this is a bit of good news to come out of the city. This actually came out on election day, but it's since been overshadowed. Um, the mayor, uh, Buddy Dyer, uh, confirmed that the city was negotiating a, a price to buy the club from its owners to make it a permanent memorial space. Yeah. Um, it's, the club has since been empty obviously since the the massacre there in June. Um, and now it's going to be able to be a, a place for people to visit and to pay tribute, not just to, not just for those who knew, you know, any of the 49 people who died that night but for you know people around the world who have apparently been coming since June to pay their respects and to and to I guess try to figure out what what this is
1: right I mean yes for all intents and purposes it's a memorial anyways yeah and so I think this is a really classy move by the city of Orlando because you really have two options here you let it sit like it is no one's going to move into that space no, you know it's 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 a dead space business-wise at this point. Or you do what they're doing and you you turn it into a formal memorial. I think it's great.
0: Yeah, I think it, it just it reminds me how it's been five months, and um, the Senate had that massive filibuster at the end of June, and
1: the, no bill, no break. Uh,
0: yeah, and yeah. then the, the the House did a sit-in, and then we got swept up in the political. Uh, monsoon that was the selection there's been no action on gun control since then there's absolutely nothing that has changed between like the beginning of june and now that would stop somebody from doing something like this again and it what's even more shameful is that you know, we had an election where this was kind of an issue, but it wasn't the main issue. It wasn't
1: the issue. Yeah,
0: the NRA, for their part, you know, ran attack ads against Hillary Clinton um, in, I think, almost all 50 states saying how that she was going to take your guns away and whatever other nonsense they spout. But, um, you know, I th- I guess they felt like they'd waited enough time after th- the most recent mass shooting where they could just stick their hands up and say, oh, we'd like to remind you all that um, – you know, we actually control your federal government more than any any other lobbying group.
1: Well, Trump said, right? In one of the debates, one of the first endorsements he got was from the NRA.
0: Yeah. So something to be proud of, I guess, when you're running a campaign and I guess trying to be the outsider candidate to get the most insider group to endorse you from the beginning, right? I don't know. You know, I, I'm 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 a little pissed off talking about it because it, it uh, it's you know. Any any of us have been inside a nightclub before, and I don't think we can think of a more horrifying way to have uh, to go and to to think about what those people went through. It is such a disrespect to their families and to their their lives that nothing has changed since then, and it's going to be a lot of work. But I mean, we we in the in the music community need to remember that this is important.
1: I, I agree. Think. I don't know. I'm not sure that this was publicized in a big way. And I think this happened last month or the month before. But did you hear that the hospitals that treated all of the, all of the victims are waiving all of their medical fees? Yeah, I did hear that. Which amounts to about like $5.5 million. Yeah. So, you know, it's not the silver lining you're looking for, obviously. But um, it is a, a nice, a generous mm-hmm. sentiment from, you know, health insurers and hospitals who are not right. necessarily always known for their generosity. Right.
0: And I think just that, that that kind of speaks to the community of Orlando that responded so vigorously in support right. of, the, of the people and their families.
1: Right. Definitely.
0: Um, anyway, just you, know, if you, you might have different feelings about that. Let us know uh, if you do. But more importantly, let your lo- elected officials know that uh, you would like some gun control measures taken because that's the only way to stop something like that from happening again. Um, it's been 20 years since a landmark album.
1: That's right. And we're not talking about the Space Jam soundtrack, oh, although we, we will we later. Will,
0: we will, the beloved Space Jam soundtrack.
1: But it's been 20 years since the release of...
0: DJ Shadows introducing
1: Classic, classic album and important and still, I believe, the Guinness World Record holder for the only album to be assembled completely from samples.
0: I think, yeah. Is that, yeah, that's probably true. It, it
1: did hold that record at one time. I'm not sure if it still stands, but it was it was the first one.
0: <clears throat> so there's been a lot of coverage of this over the years, it, and I feel badly in a way for DJ Shadow that his whole musical career will always be compared to that first album.
1: He said, though, I, I was doing some research on this earlier, and he said that he doesn't feel like it's an albatross. He doesn't look at it that way. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it very much defines him. I it's obviously the first thing that many people think of, the first thing I think of when I think of DJ Shadow, but with good reason, that album is so good. Yeah. It is so beautifully done.
0: It still stands up. He in and, and I'm glad you read that he said he said he doesn't feel that way. Ten years ago, he felt differently. Um, but he was still kind of in the in the wake of of that album. He had said in an interview to Herb, um, his, his second album, it took, like, six years to come out, so it wasn't until 2002.
1: Okay.
0: Um, and, of course, it got compared to introducing. Yeah. And he said uh, that comparison frustrated him because it's like Steven Spielberg having Raiders of the Lost Ark compared to 1941. And he said, at the time, I didn't feel like I was feeling a whole lot of pressure, but in retrospect, I was under enormous pressure to make a follow-up album. And maybe his mistake... In making that album was that it wasn't different enough to avoid those comparisons, mm. but you know that's that was ten years ago. He's he's continued to make music and
1: he just released a new album. Yeah, what six months, three months ago? I think so. Three or four? Yeah, it, and it's somewhere. great. It's great.
0: But you can only change the world once, I guess. I think that's kind of the sure. Yeah, that's what. But at I, least he got to that yeah, one time. Absolutely. <laughs> I um, and what there's a. There's a documentary that I saw at South By earlier this year. It was originally called um, Artists and Repertoire, and they have thankfully changed the name to The Man from Mo Wax. Um, and it mostly is talking about James Lavelle, uh, but then it also talks about DJ Shadow. Uh, James Lavelle was one part of UNCLE, U-N-K-L-E, the group that uh, DJ Shadow collaborated on. Um, and it kind of goes in-depth into the minds of these like complete collector nerds and how they really developed an artistry around being um, kind of crate diggers and selectors and, and turned that through production into uh, a whole new sound and a real new subgenre of like sampled music that you hear on Introducing and, and on, on plenty of other albums since then.
1: Nice. Name what? What's the name of the documentary again? The
0: Man from Mo Wax, and I Mo Wax being the uh, the label yeah. that
1: released the album. Yeah, and
0: uh, I, I, I don't know where it's been distributed since then. I think they were looking for uh, a big release, but I wouldn't be surprised if it popped up on Netflix in early 2017. It's a really good. It's long. They um, could use a little bit of an edit, from what I saw, but it's. Uh, <laughs> If it's kind of a, a record collector's, and even just a music lover's like dream because mm. you, you go into the storage units that DJ Shadow has in Northern California, and you see like the mountains and mountains of vinyl. And it's he knows where things are, but he you know, you still have to look for them because it's like it's just a physically vast space. And
1: do you think that's what it is, really, just sort of um a mind that organizes things in that way? inherently that's able to pull off such an album because you know you look at the list of samples on this album and the number dozens and dozens of different vinyls that they came from like do you think he's just a guy that's able to sort of categorize things in a way that
0: yeah i think that's that's got to be part of it and like certain people have that ability and certain people have that ability and then don't have the artistry or the creativity to go along with it he really has all of it
1: right well uh Highly recommend everyone revisiting that one. It's holds up.
0: If you've never heard it, I bet you wouldn't think that it came out
1: in 1996. Yeah. It's, it holds up. Yeah. Timeless.
0: A different time that was. Uh, Crystal is here to talk to us about some new music. Hey Hello. Crystal. Hi, Crystal. <laughs> um I hear that there's something from Annabelle England you think we should check out.
2: Yes. So, uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with Annabelle England's name, you've most definitely heard her voice in songs such as Hot Natured's Reverse Skydiving and Pleasure State's Electricity. Um, but the L.A. singer-songwriter has actually got, just gone solo with a new single called London Headache that just came out on Defected Records.
0: I, so, like a year or two ago, I had lunch with someone who... Uh, was working with her a little bit and compared her to Madonna.
1: What? Whoa! <laughs> whoa
2: they were like, whoa, she's whoa. like,
0: she's like an early, like early Madonna, like Annabelle England has it.
2: Well, she, she, she cited Madonna as her biggest influence. And when I was talking to her about this, she kind of saw this going solo as almost like a, a Madonna-like rebirth, you know, reinvention.
0: Very cool. That's awesome. (laughs) And you you talked to her for Billboard Dance, correct? Correct, yes. Awesome. Check that out online. Uh, What else you got?
2: All right. So Barkley Crenshaw, who some of you better know as Dirty Bird boss Claude Von Stroke, has shared the second single from his forthcoming self-titled debut album, The track is called The Gene Sequence, and it's more of the hip-hop-influenced sound that he's labeled as metaphysical slow jam, so... (laughs) He has not. (laughs) It's probably not the kind of stuff that you'd expect him to drop during a funky booty house set as Claude Von Stroke.
0: Is this hitting? Are people people getting into it?
1: I'm feeling both of those solo tracks, to be quite honest. And everything that he released last... Last year. And I've heard that his sets at the Dirty Bird Campout,
2: he does like super late night sets as mm-hmm. himself and people are raving. Yes. Crystal, what do, you, what do you think? I was there for the very first set, the first Dirty Bird Campout, and it was well worth waiting up until 5 a.m. in the rain for.
0: Oh, that total, it better <laughs> have been. I mean, 5 a.m. in the rain?
2: Did it feel, was it metaphysical? It, it definitely felt like a different experience, just complete utter darkness in West Coast base. Oh just it's that like my dream. Drink it in, <laughs> that man. Amazing. Drink it that's amazing.
0: That's literally what Katie dreams about every <laughs> night. Um, cool. And so wax is making a comeback.
2: Yes. So the Belgian duo earlier this week released a new track called Transient Programs for Drums and Machinery. And it's their first release under that name in eleven years. Um, following 2005 album Night Versions. They also announced a 2017 spring tour, which so far only has scheduled dates in Europe, but curiously enough, mm-hmm. uh, the tour ends the week before Coachella begins. Ooh, What? Ooh.
0: What does this mean? It's
2: never too early to start the Coachella hype.
0: Oh, it certainly is not. Did you
2: see that DJ
1: Snake? accidentally announced that he was playing Coachella? I did, yes. Yeah, so watch out for that one, guys.
0: (laughs) I feel like it's kind of almost late for Coachella hype. Like, it's almost Thanksgiving. I feel like we should at least have, like, some kind of bullshit uh, lineup poster going around at this point. Or have we all been so consumed by fake news of the presidential election that we don't have time for for fake fake music news? news.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That first Trump-era Coachella.
0: Yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, uh, my girl, y'all's girl, Dawn Richard.
2: Yes. You love her.
0: She and I are tight.
2: Yeah. So today marks the release of Redemption, the new album from experimental artist Dawn Richard, otherwise known as Dawn. Uh, it's the third and final installment of her Heart Album trilogy, and um, it was described as a coming-of-age album where she d- tackles issues such as race, gender equality, female empowerment, and navigating the music industry, and I've listened to the album, and I... I really enjoyed it. It it just really kind of brought out a lot of feelings.
0: Nice.
2: I mean, I know you've talked to her about... uh, Also, do you care to give some context about who she is?
0: I mean, I think, you know, if you don't know who Dawn is, she was originally uh, in Danity Kane, which was Diddy's group from Making the Band, and uh, she has carved her own path. She's an artist like no other, and um, this the The trilogy is uh, is like kind of based around colors. The first being black, then gold, and now red. Red for redemption. Um, so oh, she's she's very okay. visual in the way that she okay. she creates, and I would not just say visual. She's like, she's holistic. Like there's visual, there's audio, there's uh, philosophical. She's a true artist. So so I'm glad that she's being embraced by the by the uh, electronic music nerds sometimes we can be a little selective. I mean, speaking for myself, I guess. Um, <laughs> we like her. Yeah. What we're saying is we like her. Uh, we love her. She, uh, uh, she also likes an 808, and there's a documentary about 808s.
2: Yes, so the long-awaited documentary chronicling the history of the iconic uh, drum machine, aptly named 808, finally has a release date. It will debut December 9th exclusively via Apple Music, and it seems like a lot of people... Including uh, the aforementioned Barkley Crenshaw, are, are pretty excited for it.
0: Cool. This has been, this like premiered at South by like in 2015. So we're coming up on two years from when this first was like seen by people.
1: And this movie has a banging cast, right?
2: Like everyone's in this movie, right? Do you have a list? I do. Um, it's, it's well, first of all, it's narrated by Beats One's Zane Lowe and Ooh, it I features love his voice you could read me the phone book I would listen to that shit such
0: a sucker for an accent that's true Uh,
2: and it also features interviews with Africa Quest Questlove Pharrell Rick Rubin David Guetta and and more it's really a heavyweight cast I think
0: David Guetta is kind of a curious inclusion but uh, maybe you know maybe he can tell the world what he's observed other people doing in the studio for him
2: Ooh, we'll be
0: right back with our special guest (laughs) for the week this is Don't Kill the Vibe Welcoming, well, we are welcoming in the studio today two friends of the show Frankie Sanchez, who is a marketing project manager, social media person extraordinaire, and he has experience with some music brands, including Insomniac. They're the people behind Electric Daisy Carnival. He is also the host of the brand new This Is Not a Letter podcast. Hello, Frankie. Hi. And sitting next to Frankie is former music writer, eternal music lover and current PR person on Call of Duty, the video game, it's Allie Miller. Hello. How are you guys doing tonight? Great. Wonderful.
1: Thanks for coming.
0: Thanks for having us. Oh yeah. So we wanted to get your opinion on this. There were two lists that, um, that came out in the last uh, week ranking Daft Punk songs. One first dropped on Billboard and that was followed up a few days later by a list on Thump. Right. And Thump's list was a little more thorough. They they ranked every, every Daft Punk. Yeah. And every Daft like every Daft Punk recording, like there are three versions of Aerodynamic. Right.
1: Every Everything Daft Punk had ever touched too because I think there was like a Chemical Brothers <laughs> remix. Like anything that they ever had their dirty robot paws on mm-hmm. was on that list.
0: Yep, There was like a dinner menu that they just ordered from It <laughs> was ranked in there. Yeah. And there was a, a answer phone message they had left for a fan. I'm just making that up. Um, but I want to know what are your favorite Daft Punk songs, Allie and Frankie?
3: I mean, I think if you were to release Homework tomorrow, it would be still be a hit. Um, yeah. I was listening to Revolution 909 on the way here, just because. I mean, not only to prepare, but because it's a jam. Yeah. And I mean, I wouldn't. It's something that you know I could never turn off. And then I think, you know, beyond Discovery and Human After All, it's it's all up from there.
0: Wait, you like Human After All? I do. Whoa.
3: I mean, I have to keep an open mind. Okay. I just have to
1: respect the breadth of their catalog.
0: Controversial endorsement.
1: Wait, tell us why that's controversial.
0: Because, I mean, it was kind of panned at the time.
3: That's fine. I mean...
0: Ali doesn't give a shit. I
3: don't care. I think whatever critics say is just, you know, an opinion. take that, critics.
4: (laughs) Don't you find it weird with these lists, though? Like, even in the one you were just talking about, I think it was, like, track... The one they listed as 13. 13th on the list is the weekend track that just came out. Oh, yes. And I feel like with any of these lists in the year they come out, it's like the one the song that came out the most recent is going to be closer to the top just because it's fresh on our on our radar.
1: Sure. And then in three years it'll be at like number seventy four.
4: Right. Yeah. We, I, I, like I couldn't look past that when looking at these two lists. Was that there's like this weird placement of yeah the newer songs closer to the top than maybe they should be. But also, is that, a, is that like, that's more of a weekend track. That's a track they produced for the weekend. Is that, like, a Daft Punk song? Crystal
1: and I were actually just talking about this. Like, it it's it doesn't sound like them.
4: Right.
2: And what were you saying in the car, Crystal? Well, when I first heard the song, it... it we, we all knew that Daft Punk was on the tracks. So we I think we were all expecting something much greater than it was, and when we heard it, it kind of just sounded like anyone could have done it. It felt very shoehorned in, right. I think. I well, agree.
4: When, like, when you first heard it, did you expect there was going to be a moment like, oh, there they are? Right.
1: Like, exactly. They, exactly. And you were saying, Crystal, that maybe they were kind of deferring to the weekend to sort of let him shine, but to have both of those artists working to the biggest and best of their abilities... like would have been
2: amazing. I, I agree, yes. And, you know, hopefully with this new track that just came out today, it, it'll it exceed those expectations.
0: I think The Weeknd is overrated. I mean, I think he's got an, a pretty voice, and he does a good job of singing Max Martin songs. But, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if we're going to... Oh, God. Alex Mingus our executive producer, just gave me a massive thumbs up. This might be my last show because of that comment, you guys. I'm sorry. But, uh... I well, the I think that the cool thing about lists like this is that it freezes a moment in time. Like it right. it speaks to the collective opinions and feelings of that of the day it was published and it, it's probably not as valid five years before or after. But even so, I mean, there's some things on... They're comparing their top tens that are identical. Right. They, they both put one more... T- Billboard and Thump both put one more time at
4: number one. And Around the World is, like, mm-hmm. I think, both at number three, right? Or four? Uh, they
1: had a, Bil- a Billboard of three, Thump at seven.
4: Oh, right. they, ma- they, they matched
0: a... They both had an, Robot Rock as the 10th best Daft Punk song.
1: But there were some big disparities. Like, uh, Billboard had Human After All at 16, Thump had it at 60. and You lose yourself to dance... 15, and 58.
0: I think the most controversial on Thump's list is Instant Crushes" number six, and they only wrote two sentences to justify it. I feel like that's not enough. Like, I'm not saying it's a bad song, but, like... Yeah.
1: If you're going to pull a deep cut into the <laughs> into the top of the list, you have to explain yourself yeah. thoroughly.
0: Especially from an album. Okay, so, Ali, what do you think of Random Access Memories?
3: It's a, you know, I thought there was a lot of hype around it, but honestly, once it came out, I listened to it twice. Oh. And then just kind of put it away. Okay. Um, not for lack of quality or for lack of enjoying it. I just think that, given my history with the group and seeing what I saw of them live, it just didn't resonate with me as much as they had in the past.
4: But there it, was also a lot of hype leading up to, like, l- so without much. A doubt. And, like, no album could have lived up to the hype that no. that album had. It was so. I was uh, I
0: was writing for Billboard at the time, and I, I in hindsight, I feel like we were very they capital records played us really well like they knew exactly how to to keep our attentions focused and they gave us just enough information to share with people to get everyone excited and
1: the marketing around that album intense. was pretty genius yeah it was it was it was like a whole new level of of daft punk because there was so much anticipation that people were really just like feeding off i remember seeing big murals painted on the sides of the wall at south by southwest that year and yeah, they, I don't. They didn't even play, you know.
0: I just said Capitol Records. They were on Columbia at that point. So my apologies if you're listening and yelling at your Demerit uh, audio source. I know. I, I just self-corrected I on the fly, you guys. <laughs> Actually, there, there was no
3: plus okay, points. Yeah, Gold star. Thanks. I think you have to consider too. Sorry to harp on it, but just like when that album came out, it was just kind of this influx in you know electronic music popularity, whereas yeah. like. There was no marketing around the Tron Legacy soundtrack that they did, you know. <laughs> right.
1: Well, you made a really good point, once Allie, when you said that the reason that they haven't come back is because what they did with the pyramid and what year was that? Two thousand seven. I six. saw it. Yeah.
0: Oh six at Coachella, yeah, and 2007 on the right. tour. Yeah.
1: Vegas. Right. So it was so revolutionary at the time that it yeah. blew. I mean, the look on Frankie's face right now, you know, like, everyone gets that look on their face when they talk about... Frankie's
0: having a flashback.
1: ...these shows. And it's
4: good. it's, a good it's one. really good. It's a good and I'm
1: jealous that I wasn't there and I didn't get to experience it, but, Ali, you said once that because of the way that dance music and especially dance music stage productions have evolved since then, they're as big as that was. That just didn't yep. exist at the time. So they originated it, but they can't do anything now to top it because everything is at that level. Yeah. That level of bombast just is kind
3: of across the board today.
0: Right. Yeah. Like Skrillex's spaceship is no longer a big deal, but that was an even bigger structure. I mean, physically it
4: was bigger than the pyramid at the time, and now you would have to top that spaceship. I think even, like, if I'm being honest, like, in 2006, I had no idea what I was in for. I really, like, I wasn't really a huge dance music fan. I was like, cool, like, Daft Punk's going to play Let's Just Go. Uh, I was with two friends of mine who were, like, stoked, and I fed off that. But then when that stage turned on, it was, they like, there was no comparing anything at that time. And then even for the 10 years since then, even, like, working at Insomniac, I'd be like, oh, this is what they did 10 years ago. Like, that, it was... Yeah. And there was something about it, too, because you got to a point within that show where the stage wasn't done. Like, they kept... Like, what else could this pyramid do? Oh, okay. That's, yeah. that's going to turn in... All right. You know, like, it was just, like, using visual and lighting effects in a way that no one had done before. And it almost, like... Because I think, too, the thing at the time was they could have been anybody with the masks and, the, like, totally. the, they were so far elevated that there was that criticism of people who like to criticize things. Like, they could be anybody and they could be doing nothing up there, right? But the appeal of it was, like...
1: The sensory yes. overload.
0: They were, yeah, were, that was. Some, I I interviewed them after Coachella, before the Alive tour. You
1: did.
0: Yeah. Masks uh, on or off? Masks off. We were. <laughs> okay, we, they were ready. out of costume. Woo. We were just. We were sitting on. Actually, we were awkwardly sitting on these stools. In, the look on Zell's face right now. No, <laughs> well, I'm laughing because this was like it was probably a terrible uh, experience for them because they were they had like a very short amount of time and they had to get into costume to be <laughs> photographed. Um, so I'm probably embarrassed by what I asked them. But they were offended by the suggestion right. that they weren't actually doing anything. And I was like, but come on you guys, like you're like, your lighting cues all match. Like, please don't tell me if nothing is pre-programmed.
4: Right. But they... Uh, and it's a reasonable criticism, too. Like, the you're yeah. so far removed. And I think that's obviously always been the argument that people have against dance music and DJs and producers. Is yeah. Right. What are you paying to see? And I, like, I mean, I used to kind of maybe be a little bit part of that team. And then I got it. At some point, it just clicked. But that, that show in particular was, like, yeah, you could yeah. literally hire people to stand up there and it wouldn't take away from the performance. I think the mistake that artists make when they want
0: to respond to that criticism is them by like trying to play a traditional instrument or singing.
1: Right. Like we saw with uh, like Jack U at the Grammys last year. They're like, no, 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 no. Like we can play these massive drums and the guitar and.
0: It's like Diplo, you actually don't play the drums. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. or Martin Garrix on the Tonight Show trying to play the guitar.
1: Aww, he's such a. I can't be mad at Martin Garrix.
0: I mean, I'm not mad at him, but (laughs) like, someone should have said, "Hey, right, this isn't actually your strongest." Like skill. Well, it's
1: not what you do, right? You know, like this isn't why people love you, and I respect that they're trying to do something different, especially for that television format, which has been famously difficult for DJ sets to translate on.
4: Yet yeah, they keep trying.
1: They, they keep, keep trying. trying. Do you think someone's going to crack the code on I this? I don't know.
4: <laughs> I hope not. I hope they just can it. Yeah. If if there is
0: a talent buyer or booker in the media landscape willing to. Uh, allow anyone back, any DJ back on TV to sing after the Chainsmokers debacle at this year's MTV Video Music Awards, then but there is no God and I give up.
4: But it's weird because like you call it a debacle, but a lot of people walked away from that thinking like, oh well, wow. Like, good for them. Who? thought that? There's it, Just like this election, Zell, there is a, oh, there is <laughs> 49 point something percent. Oh. Oh. Of this species that walked away from that performance. So the like, Chainsmokers
0: won the electoral oh college. That's can... what you're telling me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It's>
4: perfect. <laughs> or maybe the popular vote, whichever would be worse.
0: I think uh, the popular vote, I don't know. Speaking of the election, uh, did you guys see Moby's letter to America? I did. For those of you at home uh, or out in the world listening to us. Wherever
1: you are. Wherever, wherever you are. listen.
0: Hey, you know what? That reminds me. We have listeners in south africa and australia i want to give them a shout out hey guys thanks for listening thank
1: you so much thanks
0: for being interested yeah um and and they might be at home i don't actually know where they are but i know that they are in the southern hemisphere so where it's sunnier now than it is for us um so moby wrote a letter he shared it with billboard um it was very damning it said america all lowercase america why are you so afraid of evidence you smoke cigarettes, naively believing they won't kill you. You eat garbage, believing it won't make you sick and obese. And now you've elected Donald Trump. Um, et cetera. It goes and cites some other things. But this is the thing I, I, uh, I the, the closing paragraph, I'll read this. Uh, this is the America who has now elected a dim-witted racist misogynist, a dim-witted racist misogynist who has ruined businesses and has no policy proposals other than build a wall. The Rust Belt jobs won't come back, the wall won't get built, and Hillary won't get locked up. Mic drop, Moby.
1: Yeah. He's pissed. Did you see that he also, he has a restaurant near Hollywood in Silver Lake in Los Angeles, and he opened it up, I think, the night of the election or the night after, and just gave things away to people. I heard the restaurant's really good. I've heard it's good, too. I haven't been, but it's it's vegan, of course, Mm -hmm. like Moby, and Mm -hmm. he just... uh, he, he gave it all away because he knew that people were upset. And obviously he's very upset. Yeah.
0: And I think his, his point, uh, you know, when he's talking about junk food and cigarettes, it's not to, like, moralize but to point out that as a culture we often deny facts even at our own peril and expense.
4: After reading this letter, I almost, like, brought Burger King here. I wanted to come in and be like, li- and, like, maybe some cigarettes. Wanted like, to just be like, about. fuck you, Moby? Yeah, fuck you. This letter really made me angry.
3: Oh, tell oh. us why. Tell yeah, us Yeah, I
4: had the opposite response. I get the, I agree with the, the intent, and I agree yeah. with the uh, the message overall, but there's, like, a kind of a sickening generalization being made here about us as a culture and as a country that, like, I don't think it helps. Like, uh, but when you say us, do you mean... All of America, yeah, because he's just saying, like, like he's just kind of broad stroking the all of America as being like, as if 100% of us elected this person, as if 100% of us, like, I get the idea that we don't pay attention to facts, generally speaking, uh, that we live these lives of like kind of like, yeah, whatever. But I just felt like, man, like, if you're a person who voted for Trump and you read this, you're also like, oh, well, wait. Like, I don't necessarily smoke cigarettes just because I voted for Trump. I don't necessarily right. eat fast food just because, you know what I mean? Like, the, the parallel there is weak at best. Um,
1: well, it's also uh, ultra-condescending. Like, right. if you did this, you are a stupid person that can't take care of yourself and make poor decisions that ultimately it, affect you in ways, that, ways you don't understand.
4: And isn't that the problem we're in right now, though, is, like, making that generalization? Like, because the, the people that I know that voted for Trump like it's really hard to talk about but like they're not stupid right and there's something wrong there obviously like there's like there's a (laughs) disconnect between us as as people (laughs) but like i don't know them to be uh dumb or or, there are moments in their lives where they're not making healthy choices for themselves but like i don't know there's something about this letter i was like who is this for Who are you writing this to? Because the people who you're writing about aren't going to read it and be like, oh, my God, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, but would (laughs) they they have read it anyway? Like, do if you're a Moby fan?
3: Well, here's the question. Yeah. This is an exclusive with Billboard, right?
2: Yeah. It's an exclusive. So that
3: was pre-planned. You know, this wasn't just something he put on his website and hoped it would go viral. This was as a PR person. I know like this is like what I do for a living. I mean, this is something that he kind of premeditated into hoping this went to a wider base than his, you know, personal blog or what have you.
0: Do you think he had two versions of this letter depending on the outcome? Well,
3: I think this is very stream of conscious and I don't think that's a bad thing to be honest. I think in a world where stream of conscious tweeting and what have you is becoming more normal, I think it's becoming more accepted that things aren't as polished as, you know, one might want.
0: And people want that, right? I think people, yeah,
3: exactly. I think people want more unfiltered Yeah you know, streams of consciousness coming from public figures. Right.
1: People right. want Rihanna's Instagram versus, like, Selena Gomez's. Is Wait, that a fair comparison?
0: Do you? What do you know about Selena's Instagram?
1: I just read an article in Vanity Fair about how Rihanna really changed the game because she started getting real.
0: Oh, yeah, I true. don't know
1: anything about Selena, but it, it, from this article, she's more buttoned up.
0: I'm a fan of Kendall Jenner's Instagram, as in deleted... But continue your point. Sorry,
1: I didn't mean to go into <laughs> no. A tangent, that was pretty please. much it. I yeah. just I think there was more of an
3: intent besides you know having just this simple stream put out into the world. I think he wanted this to get out to as many people as possible. He went to a music outlet, a very mainstream music outlet, right. gave it the exclusive in hopes that it would go wide. And it did. And it did. It went wide, and that's great.
0: Do you think this was more about Moby? Promoting Moby's point of view than necessarily Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Absolutely. Well, who does this serve? Moby. It serves Moby. I think he likes to get his voice across in, in any sort of vertical he has an opinion on. Yeah. Um
0: and to to his credit, this is he's not a Johnny come lately to activism. He's been no. he's been politically involved for the last twenty-five years of his career.
1: Right, absolutely. And he's very educated on what he cares about and what he hates. Right. Which I respect. But this but, is vitriol. I mean, and I think, like, to be perfectly honest, this is the stream of consciousness that a lot of us were feeling in one way or another the day after the election, you know? Like, this is, this is unfiltered, this is pissed, this is hurt, this is scared. Um, and he just has a wider, a wider net.
4: I think um, I would have been more forgiving if it came out the day after the election. How so? Because you've had a week to yeah. let the stream of consciousness kind of, ha- like run its course, and you've had a week to sit down and, like, organize your thoughts and have, like, an adult conversation about these real people that made real votes for, like, real reasons. And, like, I get the, like, trying to draw the parallel.
0: And, and not all real reasons. On both sides. True. Like, people Fair. make, on, no matter who you're voting for, there are plenty of people who make
4: dumb choices right. about why they exactly. choose and how they choose. And, like, I see trying to draw the parallel between, oh, you, know, you make the choice to eat shitty food, but uh, you're voting against health care. And it's like, okay, right. it's not that easy. Right? It's that's that's like a weird...
0: Thomas like, Dunkley doesn't think it's that easy, that's for sure.
4: Yeah.
0: Well. He's, he's the <laughs> Shemansky guy.
4: Can we say... I'll say one other thing about uh, Moby, though. Hang on, I just want to
0: point out that in this election season, uh, Harambe got...
4: 11,000 votes. I just, Is that from, true? From heard- our
0: producer, I just cut the note, 15,000.
4: Oh, 15,000. They keep coming in. Yeah, they keep coming in. A dead yeah. gorilla. A dead Gorilla. I
1: heard that was a hoax. Is that true? It's not. It's
4: true. No, I think it's real.
1: Holy shit. That's more
3: infuriating than anything, though. (laughs) Right. That just shows a real lack of education.
0: Yeah, and I, you know what, I'd say like, I don't really give a shit what you eat or how many cigarettes you smoke, but if you're so fucking stupid that you voted for a goddamn dead gorilla, get the fuck out of this country.
4: See, if Moby's letter started with that (laughs) sentence, I'd be like, "Cool, (laughs) we're good." That's
1: why Moby needed an editor (laughs) such as that. I
4: know. Um, Call me (laughs) Mobs. There's a podcast called Heavyweight. This is just a bizarre side note that uh, there's an episode, uh, I think it's the second episode that Moby is in that, uh I can't think of the guy's name right now, but the guy who hosts Heavyweight, his whole thing is like he helps people come over like things that they're not dealing with in their life. So the first one, he helps his dad and his dad's brother talk after like several years of never talking. Oh my God. But in the wow. second episode, he has a friend, a childhood friend who's like so pissed off and holding this grudge against Moby. And Moby's this kid, like, what? they grew up, yeah, they grew up together. I'm not going to give it too much away. You have to listen to this because uh, it's so, it's a story where I, like, when, when Moby's part comes in, it, like, I was like, God, you know, I do like this guy. He's, like, he has moments that...
1: Oh, he's lovely. He's great. You know, I feel like you've interviewed him, Zell. I've interviewed him. Like- no,
4: I've, I've never interviewed him,
0: I but I've met him, and my life goal is to be invited to his house.
1: I agree. It sounds like I have friends that have been in- invited up there. He lives in Beachwood Canyon. Wait, his
0: house or, like, the guest house? Because getting to the guest house, that, that's, like, everyone kind of gets it. I did not that. know He, like, invites people to the guest house, but to get the next level invite, that's my goal. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I
1: think we have to start all hanging out at, uh, Little Pine. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Say the name of that podcast one more time, Frankie. It's called
4: Heavyweight. It's on NPR. Okay. Um, hold on. I'll Google the name real quick. But it's, uh, this, I'm pretty sure it's the second episode. Well, we can link to it too. Uh, it's, it's really, 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 the story is great. And the thing that's great about it is it's one of those things when they start telling the story, they don't know where it's going to go. And, uh, Moby becomes a part of it and it's like you can't write what happens. I pray to God that I am never unwittingly involved in this podcast. I
0: feel like if you have a grudge on me out there, just keep it to yourself. <laughs> Do not take it <laughs> or bring it, it
1: here. some, we grudge can hash settler. it out here. No. <laughs> we'll get you in the studio. Ugh.
0: Tweet us. S- speaking of tense <laughs> conversations, you're mad at Zell
1: McCarthy <laughs> <laughs> at TV Podcast. Ugh. I can never say uh, that right. Okay. Thanksgiving
0: is coming up. Right, it's, it'll be it's next week from now. But you might be listening to us after Thanksgiving or while you're at your Thanksgiving dinner trying to avoid. Um,
1: Talking about politics with your family.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know, guys. What 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 do you do? How do you explain... I imagine for for Allie, for you, and for Frankie, how do you guys explain what you do to your family members?
1: What you do as, like, people that love dance music. Yeah. I'll let you yeah? field that one
3: first. Thanks.
4: I Like, I feel like every job I've had since I've moved to Los Angeles has taken... It ta- It's just taxing to try and explain it. <laughs> so when I was with Insomniac, it was... Really difficult because it just ends up being like I work for a company that produces music festivals. Is the easiest way.
1: That's what I told my family too. Yeah, that, and then that's
4: accurate. It is. Yeah, and then there's people who are kind of like, well, like what, what, what kind of music? Like what <laughs> kind of music festival are you? And then it's like, oh, and the dance music, and they're like, oh, so a rave, and uh, you know, and they're like, well, yeah, sure, whatever.
1: And then you get into the nuance, and it's like, well, what are your hours? What kind of right. hours do you keep? What's How come, your come I workload? don't hear from you
4: anymore? Right, <laughs> you're always like, traveling.
1: Yeah. I was in San Bernardino for three weekends in a row,
4: mm-hmm. and then I flew to Orlando and then to New York
0: and then back. Does, is, there, uh, is there ever any questioning of like drugs?
4: Like, do, do your family was, members? Ask I don't think you the you're... question never was outright, but I think the subtext was there. Yeah, I like, I think there was definitely people who, like, when I if I posted one more, uh, there was a time when I was like I need to capture at least one picture from each of these events but then not realizing that like they were back to back to back in my feed and so it just looked like I was partying like crazy Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I had a friend who texted me once and she's like whenever I see these pictures I'm kind of like I get kind of worried I'm like wait what because I'm working so much I hope it's because you think I'm working so much because that's what you should like I'm putting in like 80, 70, 80 seventy, eighty-hour weeks sometimes, like
1: yeah.
4: Yeah. Uh, on drugs the whole yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, totally out of my mind. Which makes it easier. Trying to find I've God. Tell you. <laughs> no. See, I couldn't find God sober, so no. I, but like, um, no, I I felt like there was like always this, like subtextual references or people who were like afraid to ask, but it, there was never an outright thank God. There was never like an outright calling me to task or asking yeah
1: ellie your mom has asked you right like what you do when you go out yeah and I, well, honestly
3: i can be very forthright with her um i you know my mom comes from the days when she was hanging out with you know led zeppelin and backstage and stuff. allie's mom guess. is the
1: coolest by the mm-hmm. way yeah. i mean
3: yeah she's she's pretty cool um so you know i think she thinks that i'm more of a party girl than i actually am yeah. so it's like all you know Come by come by for the holidays, and she'll ask me, like, what have you been doing? And she'll be like, well, have you been, you know, doing all the cocaine and stuff like that? And it's like, no, Mom, I haven't been doing, cocaine, been doing all the cocaine. But she just always thinks that if I'm going out, it's as hardcore as you can possibly get. <laughs> yeah. Just, I think that's just a defense mechanism.
0: That's what I think, I think some of my – and people in my family think that about me.
1: That you're doing all of the cocaine?
0: Not, I don't even know if they have, like, assigned a particular substance, but I think they make that assumption that, like – that i (laughs) i'm like doing drugs which i'm not and i've actually my entire career have been very like studiously not doing drugs while working because i think that's important and i I, yeah it's not my i don't have an interest in doing them so it's like
1: yeah yeah. my family kind of has a don't ask don't tell policy Mm. um even when i write stories that are explicitly related to drugs not doing drugs necessarily but there are drugs involved in the stories and Ever no one no one's ever mentioned it, um, so I don't think they care to know, which is fine.
0: Yeah, that's more comfortable that way.
1: Yeah, it's it's very Catholic of us. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> we just don't <laughs> talk about it. It's cool.
0: Well, I'm you know I th- there's also it's good to have a political position on any of these things, so you can like if someone wants to go there with you. This is my pro tip for everyone listening. If someone in your family wants to to bring up the topic of drugs or clubbing or whatever have a position on the subject that is not necessarily your own personal experience and have that position be rooted in some other grander principle yeah. for instance i'm a huge advocate of legalization of marijuana i don't smoke pot but i think that on principle we should decriminalize usage and possession and you know we can we
4: can go there on that i but, think that's a like just a, an overall issue across the board with just substances is that yeah in my opinion like if a person an adult human being chooses to take a substance like that's their free will you know i've always struggled with that like that idea of like you know because working at insomniac like they do such like i I don't work there anymore and i'm not being paid to say this so like it's just the truth they do so much work to try and prevent uh they're being issues with drugs, or allow they do not like al- actively allow people to take drugs into the. They do everything in their power, like right, and they
1: and they take a really good, they take very good care of people that are experiencing problems because they have ingested drugs, right, at festivals. and
4: uh, like as it, they should exactly, yeah, as they should. But then they get ridiculed for like supposedly promoting an environment where like it's accepted, and and I've always just felt like no, like this is a thing that's like, that is that happens at any type of music festival or any type of music event where people uh, take substances, whether legal or not legal. And I've just always felt like as an adult, you're choosing to do something to your own body, Um, you know, like like if you get shit-faced and you go out and you crash your car, right, like we don't blame the alcohol, we don't blame the car, we don't blame the highway, we blame the driver who did it. But like for some reason in dance music, it's like, the person who came in isn't fully responsible for their own actions, the True. promoter, the, the, the venue, they like, well, let's blame anything we can. But if you
0: are a bar owner and you over a customer who then goes on to do
4: something reckless or dangerous, you are True, if you're over them. them. Right. But if it's something that the human took on their own accord that wasn't sold to them or wasn't like, you know, like there's only so much you can do to prevent people from having access to, like, I get it's not like, a simple black and white issue but I've, it's just like how do we get to a point where a person's decision to do something to their body becomes somebody else's responsibility just because the environment supposedly promotes it which is debatable
3: i think you know there should be a bit more of a legit legitimizing of the topic the more funding is applied to right. research and information exactly. providing i think that's i mean not the full solve but i think it's a good step in the right direction like maps which you talk about all the time yeah you know the psychedelic studies applying substances yeah. for for helpful reasons could further help hopefully but
4: yeah. well, i think that's the thing too is that like companies like insomniac almost can't talk about it publicly at all because then that's also perceived by certain media outlets right. as being promoting it right and not just media outlets but by government yeah. agencies well, as well
1: government agencies that could Revoke your permit. Right. So it then becomes very political when you are trying to take care of people. And, you know, I think people that are going to festivals have the wherewithal to buy their tickets, to get themselves there, to book a hotel room. If you're going to do drugs, you should take a moment to educate yourself. There's a lot of information on the Internet about the best and safest way to do what you're going to do with the full realization that there are, of course, inherent risks. And you you can't just trust your drug dealer. You know that person's not the one who's (laughs) going to be giving you like the most up to date information. Trust your drug dealer.
0: That's another podcast. (laughs) Whoever she or he is, (laughs) I I think though, as Moby pointed out, uh, people in general don't educate themselves about what they.
1: And then they blame, then they blame other agencies for their own demise. There was actually an interesting story that came out of France last week. I can't remember if it was Paris. It
0: was in Lyon, actually. There you
1: go. You know what I'm talking about. Where there were. there were three people that overdosed. Mm-hmm. They didn't die, but they got—they were hospitalized. They were hospitalized after a night at the club. The club sued them.
0: Yeah, they're filing filing claims against them. It's yeah,
1: yeah, which seems like an effort to not go the way of Fabric and be shut down by the mm-hmm. authorities.
4: Right. It's what would it's, what do you think uh, the club would do if they had died then? It's so
1: that's, in, a good, that's a good question. I don't it's know.
4: A good question. I think
0: I none of us know enough about French law to know where those that's true. those boundaries are drawn, but I think it's an interesting phil- philosophical shift also to to for a club to say you are responsible for creating this this situation I do too, and I think that there's something the in that
1: that it's like, take some responsibility for yourself we can give you water, we can, you know, give you as much security, but like at the end of the day you're the one ingesting bath salts so think about that
0: I think it's interesting, the idea of responsibility, uh changes to depending on who you are and what it is that you are capable of. And I, I think, you know, for us, it might seem very easy to, to say to someone, you know, figure out what your drugs are before you take them. But I, I do think that a lot of people just don't even have enough information to even ask the right questions. And I, I don't know if I feel comfortable holding individuals, especially younger kids responsible, um, if they've never been given the right tools to figure things out. Well, I
1: agree. I agree. There's yeah. more I want to say about that, but it just slipped out of
0: bed. Um, <laughs> Next week, uh, well, the day after Thanksgiving is Black Friday, so a week from from mm. now. Uh, it's a time when people upgrade their gaming consoles and get their their fun electronic stuff together. Frankie and Ali, I know you guys are both gamers, what is the... Quickly, because we're towards the end of the show, but I want to hear from you. What are the things to watch out for in trends for gaming in 2017? What's, what's
4: the you landscape like?
3: <laughs> is it all VR? I think, I think so. It's starting to be VR. I think VR is becoming way more um, consumer-friendly just with the amount of product coming out. I know that PlayStation just kind of released theirs. And, you know, software is starting to really kind of shape up into real fun experiences for people. And I think... You know there's a huge opportunity for you know some intersection between music and games to really show its face in the next
4: you know coming years my has just got a uh, a vr uh it's like a bike like a like a, a stationary bike and we say frankie works for a youtuber that's who his bosses are yeah, yeah. uh they create uh gaming content for youtube and they just got like it's sort of a thing but it's. A stationary bike where you, like, you attach the VR headset, you play the game, but, like, you're on a bike, and then, like, within the world of the game, like, whatever you can do, like, in the, like, so, like, you're pedaling to, like, move, a, like, a race car, or, like, we haven't even seen it in action yet. Like, it's, we're still setting it up, but it, like, it's definitely where things are going.
3: It's awesome. And if you guys have the potential or means to, to yeah. try the experience, it's well worth it just to see the potential.
4: Yeah. I used to think that, like, I rode the VR roller coaster at uh, Six Flags recently. Oh. And I used to think, like, stuff like that would make me nauseous, but, like, the roller coaster didn't. It was the Samsung uh, headset. And um, I fear which uh, I, I had done the PlayStation one, and, there's, and they, they've never made me nauseous, which is shocking. Yeah. Cause stuff like that usually really freaks me out. It doesn't make me nauseous, but I know
0: that VR headset headsets make everyone look like a total dork.
1: There's no way to look cool. <laughs> it's in VR. just absolutely not. Don't even try. Yeah. Do you think a cool option is coming down the pipeline? Like, will well, I think we need, we need to get it feasible first? It'll be <laughs> implanted
4: behind your yeah. retina, and then I'll wait for Black that. Mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We we live in an episode of Black Mirror.
0: Oh. Let's not not even think about it. Uh, Thanks, you guys. We have come to the point of the show where Katie and I quiz each other on things that have killed or not killed the vibe.
1: That's right. You want to go first?
0: I'll go first. Okay, hit it. All right. Living in a post-truth world.
1: Oh, man. Killed the vibe.
0: Being a motherfucking star boy. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Did not kill the vibe.
0: Awkward Thanksgiving conversations.
1: Mm, actually, I kind of. I get off on that stuff sometimes. Oh wow! Did not kill the vibe.
0: Suspicious family members.
1: Um, killed the vibe.
0: Bugs Bunny, co-star of Space Jam. Happy twentieth birthday, Space Jam. Did
1: not kill the vibe.
0: Oh, scolding letters.
1: Oh, killed the vibe.
0: Yeah, grudges against Moby.
1: <laughs> Did not kill the vibe.
0: Grudges against me. Killed the vibe. Thank you. You're welcome. Looking like a dork in VR headsets.
1: Did not kill the vibe. That shit is fun. All right, that's all I got
0: for you. All right,
1: all right, all right. Logging off the internet.
0: Oh, does not kill the vibe. Wait till the show is over.
1: (laughs) Right. We got like two more minutes, guys. Bear with us. 2016.
0: (sighs) I mean, killed the vibe. Hardcore.
1: Daylight savings time.
0: Uh, It's. I don't. I, I liked it better when it was in October, but didn't kill the vibe.
1: Believing you can fly.
0: Oh, I
1: believe I did not kill the vibe. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Pyramids.
0: Oh, I did not kill the vibe.
1: Harambe votes.
0: Okay, so our producer, our producer Alex uh, passed me another note and said that he was just fucking with us, that the Harambe votes did not happen. Thank he you. just was happy to see me get Thank so you. mad. <laughs> Wait, really? Yes. I'm pretty sure they're real. Apparently not, soaked, if so If you know
1: anything about the Harambe vote, if you did write validity, in Harambe, you still suck.
0: Us. But it just apparently wasn't enough people to make it a... a All right, account.
1: so that did not kill the vibe uh, in the so end. I no, guess not.
0: Your, <laughs> your producer killed the vibe. <laughs> he, he riled me up, though. It was good. All right, good. All right. crate digging. Uh, that's the vibe.
1: Open letters.
0: Eh, they killed the vibe.
1: All the cocaine. <laughs> they
0: kill all the cook. If it's with Led Zeppelin, does not kill the vibe. Before hanging out with Ali's mom, I'm about it, about it.
1: All right, that's all I got.
0: Don't kill the vibe is recorded live in Hollywood at the Creative TV Studios by our A-team executive producer Alex Munoz, Harambe lover himself. <laughs> audio engineers Andrew Conde and Anthony Russo. Allison Snyder is our creative director. We, she now photographs us on a white wall. It's a symbol of a post-Trump era. That's not true. We just the the walls got painted from red to white. That's all. It, it works. Our theme music today is Play a Game by G-Live and Kello. You can check that out on Spotify and other places. And
1: we want to say a big thank you to our guests, Frankie Sanchez and Allie Miller. You can check us out on Facebook where you can see these aforementioned photos. They're and, beautiful. Yeah. Other things at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Podcast, And you can listen to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or YouTube. Keep in touch at don'tkillthevibe.com.
0: Thank you for listening.
1: Until next time, don't Don't kill kill the the vibe.